Well, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I'm thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 46 there this morning. We'll be in other passages as well, but that will be our main text. But we are now, I guess, in the thick of Christmas season. This is a season, of course, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ as followers of Christ. And because of that, I believe that every Christmas should be the best Christmas ever. I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be able to kind of trace your growth in faith, your growth as a Christian through every year. And so every year, your relationship with Christ should be a little bit sweeter. It should be a little bit better. Your affections for Him should grow a little bit more. And because of that, Every time we get to the season where we reflect on the birth of Jesus Christ, the miracle of the incarnation, we should look at it with a little more worship. We should look at it with a little more gratitude. But I know that saying that every Christmas should be the best Christmas ever is kind of a dangerous statement. I don't mean that you need to try to one-up yourself every year. I know that's the temptation of some of you. You try to make the experience of your family or your personal experience a little bit more. So usually when we talk about something being the best something ever every year, we typically think about sentiment. We typically think about feelings. We typically think about I've got to outdo myself in making other people have a better experience this year than they did last year, whether that be through gifts, whether that be through some kind of an event that you're trying to put on. You think that something being better than it was last year necessitates more effort. It necessitates you looking at some material way to make the season better. And that's not what I'm actually talking about at all. I really think that the focus of Christmas is a focus of joy. Because I know that God wants you to have joy through His Son, Jesus Christ. I think that's especially true this time of year. But the problem with most of us is that the idea that something can be better than it was last year, that kind of dissipates as you get older. You think about Christmas. Kids love Christmas. Children love Christmas more than older people. And, and older people think that they understand because it's more effort. Kids just get, get, get. And, and that's good. Kids love Christmas. Kids love everything if you do it the right way. And, but we think that they are going to have more joy than we have. And I think that that's a very calloused way to look at life. If life, year in and year out, robs you of joy, I'll just be frank with you. You're not living right. You have changes that you need to make. You need to change your attitude. You need to change your perspective because the problem that most of us have is that oftentimes we are overwhelmed by the seasons more than we are engaging the realities behind the seasons. And so it is with Christmas. The joy of this season needs to be anchored in the faithfulness of God. And if you are not year in and year out realizing how faithful God is, then quite frankly, again, you've got some changes that need to be made. When you consider the things that get in the way of your joy, whether it's circumstances or whether it's people, you need to consider that the people that were involved in the Christmas narrative and the choices that they could have made that could have expressed misery, that could have expressed doubt, that could have expressed hard times, but instead you see in every Christmas narrative the very people involved respond with joy. And you might say, well, that's easy. 
And I would say, well, then you haven't considered the circumstances behind the story. And today I want to focus on Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her response to the fact that she was pregnant with Jesus when she'd never been with a man that she was betrothed with. Because if you find yourself with child in the betrothal process, then the experience that's going to happen the next nine months to five years of your life is not going to be a pleasant experience. Rather, it's going to be more than just an inconvenient experience. Your reputation's probably going to be ruined. Your family's probably going to disown you. Your fiancé is most necessarily going to rid himself of you, and necessarily the public is going to ruin your reputation and possibly charge you with a crime. And so Mary had nothing from a human perspective to gain from the birth of Jesus, but she had everything to lose. Mary experienced difficult circumstances because of the birth of Jesus. Yet we are tempted to look at this and say, oh, it must have just been a blessing the entire time. I don't think that you would have responded that way. I think you would have responded with fear. I think you would have responded with trepidation. I mean, I know how anxious some of you are. You would have freaked out. You would have had a panic attack immediately. You would have been saying the old adage of why me over and over and over because without the right perspective and posture in every season of life, Mary could have easily walked through the birth and life of Jesus Christ without joy. But here's the key. She chose joy. You have to choose joy. It's not just going to happen. You're not going to drift into joy. You have to choose every single day of your life to trust God with every circumstance of your life. And when you trust God, joy is going to be the thing that you choose over and over and over, regardless of what you are walking through in your life. And even because of what you are walking through, you can be certain that God will not only deliver you from pain, but He will also use the pain of your life, use the inconveniences of your life to His glory. And so ultimately, I think that's why it's vital for us to understand that Christmas gives us an anchor to trust in the absolute faithfulness of God for our lives every single time. Look in Luke 40, excuse me, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 46. This is Mary's response to being told that she was pregnant with God the Son. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. That was her response. Her response wasn't, My life is ruined. Could have been. That's your response, isn't it? I mean, you get in traffic, you think your life is ruined. I was on 95 this past week in a different state. There was a little traffic back up, and I said, we're not going to make it when I thought we were going to make it. Well, this trip's ruined. <laughs> we find ruin so quickly in our lives with just the smallest of circumstances. Everything is ruined. Mary has a life-altering event happen that was going to be extremely inconvenient for her, and she looks at it and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked at the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Number one this morning, I want you to understand that God is faithful to everyone who trusts Him. God is faithful to everyone who trusts Him. Now, I know that I could have just stopped with those first three words. God is faithful. That's true. God's faithful to everyone. God is faithful in every circumstance. God is faithful. It's part of who He is. It's an attribute of God. If you look at the history of God in Scripture, you're going to see an overarching theme of God's faithfulness. But from a human perspective, I want you to understand that your experience of His faithfulness must lead to trust in every circumstance for you to get the benefit of His faithfulness. Because even though God is faithful, every single day I hear from people and I see people live as though God is unfaithful. Live as though God isn't going to come through. Live as though there is no God. Live as though their lives are just a chaotic series of events in a world that there is no creator of, in a world that there is not God who is over, in a world who is not in control of every single circumstance. And when you live with that perspective, you are not going to experience the faithfulness of God. You are going to live in resentment towards God. You are going to live a miserable life. I can tell you I've been a follower of Jesus Christ for over three decades now. I've known the name of Jesus my whole life. And so because of that, I've also known a lot of people who have questioned whether or not my faith was reasonable, questioned whether or not my faith was real, questioned whether or not there is a God that I give my faith to, questioned the validity of the gospel. And I've had so many people, Jesus tells us, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And I can tell you, I've lived an entire life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, people have come at me about my faith and then I signed up to be a pastor. And well, it didn't limit that kind of open the floodgates of that. People blame me for things I didn't even know were happening. But I can tell you, in each and every circumstance, people that attack faith in Christ are miserable people. And they're attacking out of a place of misery. It's been the one commonality that I've seen of unbelievers is that they are so miserable in their lives, they look at a follower of Jesus as if to say, how dare you have joy? To which I say, and I'm going to keep having it too, brother. You're not going to knock me off of my joy. There is a God. There is a faithful God. He's had a son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus has saved me from my sin. And I will spend eternity with him with or without you. Your perspective on God's faithfulness changes your life. It is a sin for a Christian to be miserable. You say, well, you don't know my life. I don't care about your life. Has Jesus saved you? Did Jesus come into this world to redeem sinners from their sin? Was He successful? If He was, then there is nothing that should come into my life that should rob me of my joy. It's going to be difficult. I didn't say it was going to be easy to have joy. But God is faithful to those who trust in Him. Because it changes the way that you look at yourself. God was the center 
of Mary's attention and affection in this passage. Life altered forever by nothing that she did, by something that God brought into her life. She wasn't asking for this to happen. She wasn't expecting this to happen. She didn't necessarily even want this to happen. I bet if you had asked Mary the day before, what do you want your life to be like? She's like, well, I want to marry Joseph, and I want to have a great life with Joseph. But what did she get? She got Jesus Christ. God overwhelmed her conception of the Holy Spirit. She's with child, and God said He's going to save God's people from their sins. If I had been Mary, because I like to complain, I probably would have sat down and said, well, ruin. My favorite song as a child from Hee Haw. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. I know I'm dating myself there. But the fact of the matter is, that's how so many of us walk through life but not Mary. Mary immediately says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now she had a question before she said that in Luke 1.34. She looks to uh, the angel and says, how? She wanted to understand the biology. <laughs> she said, how am I going to give birth to this child? I am a virgin. To which she said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The Holy Spirit will overwhelm you. This is going to be a miracle of God. And then she looks at it and says, this is going to be God's work in my life. How do you know the most inconvenient part of your life right now isn't a work of God for your good? The gospel demands that it is. Romans 8, 28, all things. If you love God, if you're called according to His purpose, all things are going to work to your good, His glory. It's going to be for his good. Her soul magnifies the Lord. She wasn't just wondering, well, what about my vision for my life? Why am I going to be inconvenienced? What about this other girl down the street? Can't you use her and just leave me alone? Because there were a whole lot of girls her age in Israel that did get to go through with their marriage with no inconveniences, with no interruptions. But Mary didn't do what we do. She didn't say, why me? My life is ruined. No, she worshiped. We must consider how unusual her circumstances were but, and understand that she proves a point to every one of us that attitude is everything. Your attitude about your life is going to determine the joy in your life. That phrase, my soul magnifies the Lord, can be summed up in another word. She's saying, I want to glorify the Lord. The word for magnifies literally means glory. And the definition of the term in the original language is to cause something to be held in greater esteem by oneself or others. So this tells us that Mary's great concern in this moment wasn't herself. Most of your problem is, is you're too worried about yourself to care about God. You're too stuck on yourself to care about what God wants for your life. You're too stuck on your needs and your wants and what you thought was going to happen and how you think everything's ruined for you, not Mary. Mary's immediate response was, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. 
every situation. Glory to God. God can and will use every circumstance for His glory. That's what the history of Scripture tells us. It's up to you whether you will enjoy it or not. It's up to you whether you will worship through it or not. That is your choice. So many people bring me problems. And I always talk about choices, and you never want to hear it. You never want to hear it. I mean, I rarely does anybody come to me with a problem, and I, and I start rooting it down. I say, well, you made a choice here, and you made a choice there. You made a choice everywhere, and this is how you got there. <laughs> well, it's, hard. it's more difficult than that. No, no it really isn't. You've you got to choose. Your life is a series of choices that you are making, and the moment you wise up to the responsibility that you have for those choices is the moment things are going to get better. Mary made a choice to worship God. In the book of Habakkuk, the prophet is in a bad situation. God says, I'm sending. I mean, think, think about getting this message from God. God has chosen you to be a prophet. And the prophecy that God downloads into you is a nation more wicked than Israel is going to be used by God to judge Israel and take Israel into captivity. And so Habakkuk spends three chapters looking at God and saying, I don't think you thought this through, Lord. Shouldn't you be using us to judge them since they're more wicked than us? And God basically looks at Habakkuk and says, sit down and shut up and write this book. And Habakkuk repents. But look at what he says in Habakkuk 3, starting in verse 17. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, yields no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk says, we could lose everything, materially speaking. Yet we will rejoice in God. We will have joy because God will save us. Think about Psalm 34, 2 through 3. David writes that the boast from the core of who he is points to God. He says, magnify the Lord with me. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David knew what hard times were. Yet he said, I want my life to be about magnifying the Lord and it is only through humility and submitting to the will of God that I'm going to be able to worship Him with my everything. Note the attitude behind those two passages. They flow from lives that were focused on what God deserves more than what I deserve. So many times our perspective is ruined because we think to ourselves immediately, I deserve better than this. Who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you you deserve better than this? Because I'll tell you right now, they were lying. God deserves glory. I don't. God deserves me to submit to Him. God never said He was going to submit to my plan. God did promise, though, that He will bring His plan into my life and through that give me good and Him glory. And I must submit to that over and over and over again. This perspective, though, can only come through radical faith in God. It is a trust that He is working every circumstance to show His worth and His value in my life, and I must choose to find joy in that. 
It's the only faithful perspective. It's the only way that I can say I have faith in God. Therefore, the perspective of faith cannot be, because I see so many people act this way, you cannot live a life in which you say, if my life were better, I could give God glory. You got to kill that. You'll never follow Jesus Christ if that's your attitude. The perspective must be, God, you are with me in this. I will show how great you are in every moment of it. God, you are with me in this. And I will show how great you are in every moment. That was Mary's perspective. That is the perspective of faith that gives birth to a season of real joy in your life. Everything that Mary wanted was threatened by this pregnancy. But the root of her joy was in God. And that is what she magnified with her life. Number two this morning, understand your posture towards God determines your experience with God. Your posture towards God determines your experience with God. Mary's praise flows in part from an understanding of who she is in light of who God is. Look at verse 49. He says, Mary writes and says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So who is her focus on? God. Not on herself. Mary also connects God's holiness to his power on her behalf. And so here's what Mary does. She postures herself as someone who is in need of God's work. And because of the posture that she took, she received a move of God in her life with great joy. Therefore, the might and power and holiness of God in light of her absence of any of those things. Mary says, I don't have these things. I need them. And since she submitted her life completely to the one who did have those things, she was able to have joy. She was able to find mercy that she needed. She was able to find the perspective that she needed to walk every day of faith in her life. I love the Christmas carol, the most wonderful time of the year. But not for the reasons that the song even says. It's the most wonderful time of year because it's a reminder of the grace, the mercy, the hope that we have in a God who is able to do things that we are completely incapable of. You are incapable of saving yourself. God is capable. You are incapable of knowing where to go, but God is capable to direct you. You are incapable of changing really anything that matters in eternity, but God is capable to do that. God is completely capable to act on our behalf. And when you submit to Him in faith, you know what God does? He promises He will act on your behalf. Maybe not the way that you envision it, Maybe not the way that you think it's going to happen, but that's why God says, 
I'm the wise one here. Trust him. He wants you to trust him with everything. And when you do that, every moment of happiness, every moment of joy in your life will be seen as a moment of grace that you didn't even deserve. You'll have this beautiful thing in life called gratitude. Most people are very ungrateful. But when you see who God is in comparison to who you are, gratitude defines the posture of your life. Mary understood that she deserved even the wrath of such a God. But because of who He is, what does He do? He gives mercy. He gives grace. Mary was chosen by God to give birth to Jesus. And she understood how great that was. No, she even responds and she says, people will remember me. She's like, not because of anything that I've done, but because of what God has done to me. Some people believe that Mary was chosen because of her perfection and holiness. This passage, I think, completely blows that case apart. Mary writes as someone who needs a work of God in her life. Note that she says, God has mercy on who? Those who fear Him. And Mary postures herself in that perspective. And she says, I am in need of God's mercy. I fear Him. Therefore, Mary wasn't saying, look how great I am. Rather, Mary said, look how great God is. And this shows that it is not about Mary's perfection. It's about God's perfection. She has faith in God, not in herself. The text reveals that God is not looking for people of great might and great stature. Instead, God responds to those who understand who they are in comparison to who He is. I mean, friends, be honest. When you have that posture in your life, you will receive God's work in your life differently. You will not look at everything and say, why me? You will not look at things and say, oh, that's going to be inconvenient. That's going to be hard. You will look at things and say, how is God growing me? You will look at things and say, how is God working in my life? You will look at things and say, man, God is bringing this into my life. Whether you're comfortable with it or whether you are uncomfortable with it, that's not the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is, how will God use this in my life to grow my faith in Jesus Christ? That must be your perspective in absolutely everything. You must look at everything that God brings in your life, everything that God takes out of your life, and say, God, how are you going to use it? Psalm 138.6 echoes that reality. It says that, For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty... Or the prideful, he knows them from afar. When you live your life in resentment towards the things that God has brought into your life and the things that God takes out of your life, that's pride. That's not humility. That's a prideful way to look at God. It's as if God is supposed to come to us and say, Hey, is it okay with you if I bring this difficult season into your life? I mean, who do you think you are? God's not going to ask your permission. It's just going to come. And God wants you to have the posture of faith in that moment to trust that it's all part of His plan. It is a frame of mind that God is going after in your life. He regards the humble or the lowly. This is not a statement of your worthlessness. Instead, it's a statement of our reality. God is above us. 
It just goes with being God. We are lower than him. So what posture are you supposed to take? You're supposed to take a posture where you say, you know what, God's a little smarter than I am. You know, God's a little stronger than I am. God's a little more knowledgeable than I am. You know, it really helps when you know the future, the past, and the present the same, when I barely know what I had for breakfast yesterday. God might have a different perspective than I have. And since He has a different perspective than I have, maybe I should take a posture of submission towards Him. And that is the beauty of Mary's humility before God. She has no idea what the future holds. I mean, some people who are just so smart about theology, they hate the song, Mary, Did You Know? And they're like, oh, she knew. She... No, she didn't. When you tell me you don't like the song, Mary, Did You Know? I know that you're not that brilliant of a theologian. <laughs> I know immediately you're an idiot. And I'm probably going to convince you of it in about 30 seconds. You mean to tell me, Mary, the moment the angel told her about Jesus Christ being in her womb, she knew how it would be to raise God the Son as a mother? You mean to tell me she knew what it was going to be like for people to come to her and be like, do you know your son was walking on water? Do you know your son is making blasphemous claims, claiming that before Abraham was, he was? You think Mary was prepared when Jesus was wrongfully arrested and taken before Pilate with the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him? You mean to tell me Mary knew what that was going to feel like? But that's the path that God put her on. She had no idea what it was going to look like to see her son dying on a cross. She had no idea what it was going to look like to see him stabbed in the heart with a spear. She had no idea what it was going to look like to have her son mocked and ridiculed, the crown of thorns driven into her head. So no, Mary didn't know. So when you hear that song, sing along. She didn't know any of that. Mary just knew that God was doing an incredible miracle in her life. And she needed to buckle up because it was going to be a wild ride. She didn't know where this thing was going, but she trusted the God who did know. She submitted herself fully to the will of God in her life. And that's the perspective that you must have. Submit yourself. I have no idea what my life is going to look like in the future. No clue. Just this past week, I was a youth pastor before I started this church. Just this past week, one of my teenagers wasn't a teenager anymore. He was a grown man now. One of my teenagers was walking down the road, hit by a car, died. Just this last week, you think you saw that coming? I didn't see it coming. His parents didn't see it coming. His loved ones didn't see it coming. His family didn't see it coming. But it happened. But you know who did see it coming? God. Nothing will ever come into your life or leave your life that the Father is not in control of and that the Father is not orchestrating out of a heart of love for you. It's going to be difficult might be the hardest thing you've ever gone through in your life. 2023, I don't know what it's going to look like. Could be a hard year, could be the best year, could be a banner year, could be the most difficult year. I don't know. But I know the God who does. And that gives me great joy. But you know what that requires? That requires me to take a posture of submission. 
the inconvenient gift of Jesus into Mary's life was received with great joy and worship because she trusted in God's great power that He had a perfect plan for her life and that He was going to bring great joy and great glory through her life. Number three this morning, understand God's faithfulness brings joy in every circumstance. God's faithfulness brings joy in every circumstance. You know, God keeps His Word. That's the most fascinating thing about all the years of studying Scripture that I've ever found, is that in every moment when God makes a promise, He follows through. God is not a liar. God has never lied. Is God incapable of anything? Yep, He's incapable of lying. That's an amazing thing. You can't say that about human beings. You guys are like lime machines. Like there's lie detectors and then people are just lie machines. People lie. People lie about things that don't even make sense. But God never does. God has never told a lie. Every promise He's ever made, He's followed through on. Everything that He's ever said He was going to do, He's done. In verses 52 through 55, it's almost as if Mary purposefully transitions to prove a case that she's been building. She has claimed that God is worthy of glory in her life and that every move He has made in her life has come from His holiness, His might, His mercy for her. But now she transitions and recounts God's activity through the centuries to show that He can be trusted with this move in her life. So why does Mary trust God for the present? Because she looks to the past. And she says, since he has worked, I trust that he will work. Friend, in every moment of your life, you must seek to remember God's faithfulness to his promises. God's promises, though, are very personal. It's not that God has made these promises to the detriment of his people. That's the personal nature of what Mary is saying in this passage. It isn't just that God has been faithful. It's beyond that. She's saying God has been faithful to me. God's faithfulness to His people in Israel. God's faithfulness to His people in Jesus. God's faithfulness to His church. We must apply that to our lives. And we must take the perspective and say, through all of that faithfulness, I can trust that God will, even in this moment, be faithful to me. In every element of this, it's about God's faithfulness to Mary. Because what she's saying there, if you go all the way to verse 55, she even said, if God was faithful to Abraham, and he was, I can trust him to be faithful to me. Many people, many of you, struggle to trust God and find joy in that trust because simply you don't know the history of God. All that you have is your life. And so your trust in God is like a roller coaster ride. It ebbs and flows with your mood. It ebbs and flows with how much you enjoyed your last meal. It ebbs and flows with whether you stubbed your toe last night or not. It ebbs and flows with how you feel about yourself today, whether you liked what you looked at in the mirror this morning or not. Your trust in God is transient like your emotions. And if that is the case, I want you to understand you're never going to make it. You're never going to have real joy in this life. 
Your trust in God must transcend your experience and go to the history of God. You may be vaguely familiar with the names and locations of Scripture, but do you know the people of Scripture? Have you memorized the journey of the people of Israel? Do you know the faith that they had when they made moves of obedience? See, one of the reasons Mary responded with faith and joy and hope in the faithfulness of God is because Mary had spent her life knowing this is how God has worked in the past so I can trust that He will work in the present. She understood that the promises that had been made to Abraham had built through the years of God being faithful to His Word that what God was going to do through her was directly connected to God's promises to bless all of the families of the earth through the seed of Abraham. See, friends, God is faithful to bless those who trust Him. God is faithful to work in the lives of those who trust Him. In Micah chapter 7, the prophet in a very hard time in Israel. His book signifies the journey of the nation of Israel. And in Micah 7, 7 through 8, it states that the current circumstance does not make the entire statement of God's faithfulness. Look what he says. He says, but as for me, he's responding. He's saying, times are tough and people are giving up. But he said, as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I mean, it's amazing the way that Micah writes. He says, the enemy may even proclaim victory over you. Don't worry about that. Because it's not ultimate. The day does not determine your destiny. The day does not determine your outcome. The day does not determine your eternity. Micah knew that he would ultimately rejoice in God because God would bring a salvation that would last for an eternity. And he did it through Mary. He brought his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, was the salvation of the people of God. Friend, every moment of your life, both the good and the bad, stand as an opportunity for you to exhibit the faith that Mary exhibited when God turned her life upside down to bring salvation to His people. You should not have joy in spite of your circumstances. You should have joy through every one of your circumstances. My soul magnifies the Lord. Friends, I hope that you can say that in truth with your life. But for that to be true, you must build the kind of trust that it takes to say that you have joy in every moment. Enjoy God. Trust God. Follow Jesus. And if you do those things, you will live a life of joy. A few application points this morning. First, trust God's faithfulness in every circumstance. Trust God's faithfulness 
in every circumstance. I don't know what each and every one of you are going through this morning, but I know who does. God knows. Not only does He know, He's with you in it. Not only is He with you in it, but He is sovereign over it. Secondly, repentance involves changing your perspective. Repentance is going to modify your behavior. But I see a whole lot of people modifying their actions while they carry around crummy attitudes. God wants you to change your attitude. You know, He didn't send His Son to the cross so you could walk around with a mioma attitude. No, God sent His Son to the cross so that you could walk in faithfulness and joy. Regardless of what you're experiencing and enduring, walk with your head high. Do not let any person or any circumstance rob you of joy. Thirdly, read Scripture to be reminded of God's faithfulness. You want the faith that, it, that is required to go through hard times? You better know the Scriptures. You better know the Word of God. Don't just know what some 5th century theologian thought about the hypostatic union. Know what the Bible says because this is the Word of God. Know the Word. Fourthly, believe that God will use every inconvenience for your good and His glory. Every inconvenience. And there's a whole lot of those, aren't there? 